0: Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. In this episode, we're gonna go over logical fallacies and cognitive biases. Now this is one of my favorite aspects of philosophy because it is a breakdown of the way in which we mentate and there's a sort of logic to it, but it's the reasoning with error or reasoning in error or reasoning with things that are generally just erroneous. And it's a way to sort of see through the, the lies that are being presented, because a lot of this stuff is based on material that isn't necessarily unarbitrary. It like has to deal with markets and money and attitudes and and tricks that are designed to create certain effects that benefit certain people. So it's kind of nice to be wise to this and to understand the breakdown so that there's not so much credence given to bad people and uh, not you know no nonsense, uh, more of a norm in society. And I think logical fallacies and cognitive biases should be like a uh, either philosophy or psychology prerequisite uh, or at least an encourage uh, track for college students. It would be definitely a good thing for people in their late teens, early 20s to, to get a hold of before uh, going further with anything or getting out into the world. So I had selected a handful of them. I'm going to briefly uh, just introduce some. I'm going to go over sunk cost fallacy, the observer effect, confirmation bias, clustering illusion, loss aversion, primacy effect, leveling and sharpening, availability, heuristic, anchoring, and the neglect of probability. So first, the sunk cost fallacy can be seen like we had the Apple Air MacBook at1,200 dollars, but we're going to give it to you for drumroll 700 now. And everyone gasps (gasps) wow what a deal I'm totally gonna go out and get it when really in the long run this is valued quite actually at to begin with around $800 and it is probably now worth on the market $400 so really you're paying $300 more than you should anyways but they convince you that you're getting a really good deal so ultimately, the sunk cost fallacy is to make you believe that the cutting costs aspect that they present is a good thing, when really, it was never a good, good value to begin with, even when they cut the price. The observer effect, if you might know the twin slot experiment, when you shoot photons through a slot and you're observing one part, rather than dispensing out into a waveform and hitting both slits, when you observe the particles, they go in one or the other. When you observe one way, it goes one. You observe the other slit, it goes another way. So in essence, that physics in waveform when spread spread into a field once you look at it it's behaving differently so just our our vision just our focus itself changes the way uh, particles move so it would kind of make sense because we condense reality and we alter systems uh, just by the way in which we're seeing them which kind of shows you um, the effect of reality we have in the whole scheme of things in a broad brush Versus when you fixate on something in detail, it will change into that, which is very interesting if you think about it, because lots of people argue, but they're arguing from a point of view. And sometimes that point of view is solidifying a reality and it feels real, but also there's this potentiality to reality. Confirmation bias is looking for preconceptions. So when presented with information, you ignore the inconsistencies you have and interpret the information based on what The pre-existing beliefs, expectations, and hypotheses that you have on it. So you want to kind of defend and claim based on what you already want to be the truth. And this could probably go into the nature of of causes or, you know, who's to blame. It's a lot of arm-waving and finger-pointing, I think, with confirmation bias when it comes to uh, people having a motivated reasoning, wanting certain realities to be true because they've invested so much. And really, it's just people not wanting to look like a fool, even though they are. There's the clustering illusion, where you have tons of uh, points. Like, if you just throw all these different points and you plot... These random statistics or these random samples that are generated. And when they're all plotted out, we tend to view all of these uh, random samples as clustering and being spread into a, a significant streak or a tendency to not see all the variability but to see instead the closeness of everything. And I think humans have a tendency to underpredict that there is a, a general variability versus a general organization i think the human mind is more equipped to want to organize and predict and order than it is to see things as spurious and unrelated there's also a relationship between like a roulette wheel like since it fell on black multiple times it's bound to fall on red soon we tend to reason from instances of together versus not together, and it's sort of a neglect of what the actual probability would be, like a gambler's fallacy, but also to just see that we look for causes more often, because that's how we want to explain things, rather than there being no exact uh, representation of cause, but we tend to want to see it that way. So we find it relates almost to a confirmation bias in a sense, and what we want to be true, we kind of see information that way. It could relate to shark attacks and frequencies of, of patterns of statistics that are, are just more generalizable. And I think it's our, our willingness to want to locate answers more readily that we tend to see, even when there's random samples, that we tend to want to see the, the clusters rather than the gaps. There's loss aversion which deals with the fact that when we lose things, like if we lost $10, we would just be like, oh my gosh, no, we lost $10. And when we gain $10 serendipitously, it's like, okay, yay. There's an asymmetrical insecurity and we view losses as being more severe when really the improvement and gains are always there. But when we lose, we don't understand the asymmetry of that we gain a lot more than we lose and we feel it as more severe than it really is and more impactful. So upon deciding, we look at how much we lose as a more general impact of versus how much we have saved or how much we gain, especially when it comes to expenses. We hold on to a lot tighter than we like to let go of more frivolously. So it would seem that the way we arbitrate is we don't look at all the things that we save over time versus the decision of buying something in particular. We forget about all the times that we saved and how much we're actually gaining. And we tend to overlook how much of an impact it may have on us versus how much has been manifested. I used to... I used to um, really worry about losing money and stuff but i realize it's not such a big deal because i've been out of work and i haven't collected unemployment and i haven't really had much but more recently it's i've lost like four thousand dollars just because i chose not to work you know and and i'm getting back to work soon but ultimately Imagine just throwing away $4,000 willingly. It's essentially what I did. Now, I used to be bothered, I think one time I lost a 20 or or I left some money behind, or, or something like that. Or I just blew money, I blew it, and I'm like, I regret blowing that money. But really, in the end, it's not a big deal, because in the long run, you will make back in time the money you lost, or the money you didn't make or the, you know, it ebbs and flows. Like, because I've I've worked um, for peanuts most of my life. I've never had much more than $5,000 of my own and never made much more than $18 an hour. And now I'm coming into a $28 an hour job. Over the course of a year, I would have made up all those four months that I didn't work versus working um, a job that makes $12 an hour less. So making 75% more than I had, I'm essentially doubling my money on that year and it would be almost like gaining an extra you know, nine, nine months worth of work or whatever that I would, you know, wouldn't have had, so it all really just comes out in the wash and this money game is uh, taken a little too seriously. I see money a little different as a, as a come around and it's okay to let go of some. The primacy effect is we remember first information bits and the last bits, which is recency effect, but our information is much more remembered at the very onset, the first impression. The start of the list. The start of the lecture is tend to be more uh, weighted heavily on uh, correct answers when it comes to the first information that has been given in the first 20 minutes of the lecture versus what happens in the middle and towards the end. That Those, those information points and in those parts of the discussion when presented in test form were performed a lot better than any other part of the lecture information in the other lectures. So people do better and retain more at the the first parts they remember those more there's the leveling effect which is the um, uh, omitting details and then the sharpening which is the exaggerate details and this is done kind of naturally when our darker sides of ourselves come out when we are professing information in story form and we want to avoid responsibility so like I, i omitted the detail that i i called her a jackass And that I, you know, sped off, but I totally sharpened up and exaggerated the detail that she was out all night and she didn't call me and she didn't this or whatever the complaint is. However the story goes, it's to sort of make people feel like they're totally on your side and you're the best guy ever, even though you know that you're an asshole. (laughs) It's kind of like one of those those things in a recognition of human nature and and how they want to self-preserve and be selfish and throw other people under the bus. The availability heuristic is information coming to mind when you're presented with a topic, concept, or method, and rather than engaging with those things as they are, you see them instead with the first thing that you already know when presented with it. So there's things that are actually existing in the world, and then when those things are brought up, you see them as how you relate to them. From what you heard on the news or what you heard in one instance is how you relate to it and tends to be how you deal with it like if you hear a plane crash or you heard of a plane crash recently or you heard a plane crash last year and it's presented to you you think oh my gosh i'm much more afraid of crashing on a plane now but it ignores the real information and the real reality behind that due to an available information that you draw up when you think about airplanes rather than actually dealing with the severity of how dangerous it actually is, which is not at all. It just appears that way since you were given information and you came up with an availability heuristic to sort of justify to yourself the danger of flying on an airplane. I think uh, the, the the plane crash and a fatal car crash is, is far and few in between for the plane crashes than it is for the car crashes. I can't remember this... Statistic firsthand, but I believe that um, it's almost like 10 times less likely to die in a plane than it is in a car crash, or something like that. 50, maybe? I can't really remember. A lot less likely. So it's almost like your judgments are based on an experience that is unrelated to actual affairs. There's something called anchoring, and anchoring is done in marketing to be a deceptive person and it's designed to influence decision-making, to screw someone over. First seeing a high number will make you believe that the lower number is really where it needs to be, but the anchor is set in order to pull people in a certain direction. So if you set the anchor of a $100 shirt and then you have one for $40, you're going to think, oh, that $40 shirt, that's that's a good deal. I'm going to get that one. You know, uh, this seems like much a, a much better deal, obviously, when really you're influenced by it. It's not a cheap shirt, and the $100 made it seem like like it was, when really $20 would be cheap, having not seen any shirts around or noticed any price tags, or maybe if the anchor was set at 60 You would see 40 as not really being that cheap. Unless it went down to 20, then you would. So anchors are set to create a gap in your comparison. Sort of mechanism in your mind so just relying on first pieces of information sort of like an availability heuristic the first thing that comes to mind your mind is primed the priming effect and then there's like a sunk cost fallacy when it goes down so the anchor influences the way that you perceive other things based on your comparisons lastly neglecting probability is a decision under uncertainty when you neglect the real risks when having a preconceived idea about how a common risk actually is versus the actual uncommonality that it is. So the social distancing was much more practiced than it was after mandates. So after the mandates, the social distancing decreased, even though the statistics remained roughly the same. The social distancing stopped, not because of any statistical reason, but because the information dictated the behavior and not the actual probability just like if you think about or heard of uh, carjacking in the area, there's always carjacking in and around the area. But since you heard about it, you neglect the actual probability of it happening and you think it's much more common than it actually is. So I will leave you with this and to think about when information is presented to you. If you're uh, new to uh, logical fallacies, I recommend just googling logical fallacies and spending an hour just reading those. And it's just a level up in your own perceptual uh, and, and judgmental awareness. So uh, I think if you're turning in and I'll see you next time.